Welcome to the Family Beacon Podcast from Minnesota Family Council with hosts Grace Evans and Moses Bratrude. Stay informed on the top stories on life, family, and religious freedom. Get the facts, stand for truth. Hello and welcome back to the Family Beacon Podcast from Minnesota Family Council. I'm Moses Bratrude with Grace Evans. We are so excited for this special episode because I think that it's one that will be really helpful and important. And the topic is the best arguments best air quotes (laughs) best air quotes arguments for abortion so when when we come into the the space of debating whether abortion is permissible Mm -hmm. there are a lot of arguments that you'll hear some of them are particularly stupid some of them (laughs) need to be thought about and they need to be addressed and they need to be refuted and debunked and Uh, Thankfully, we have the perfect person to do that, and that is Grace Evans, pro-life activist and uh, excellent um, co-host. So, um, Grace, I'm going to ask Grace Mm -hmm. some of the the biggest pro-abortion arguments, some of them that they're saying, oh, pro-lifers can't, they just don't have a reply to that. And and then and Grace is going to respond to those and act, give the uh, a, a great pro life answer to each one. And the, uh, the the benefit of her doing that is then that you, uh, our listeners and viewers, can take that can take that and take that with you. And if you maybe uh, and if you uh, as the holidays approach, if you get into a, a discussion over over a meal with with relatives and they I don't recommend talking about abortion at the dinner table but if it comes up mm-hmm. we hope that this episode will uh, will inspire you and prepare you to have that discussion even uh, even more so than than you're already prepared exactly. to have the discussion because if we're not armed with the truth then how can we expect others to listen to us like if we don't have a response prepared then how are we going to be able to fight for the preborn and um, if you want to, you can follow me on Instagram. I have a highlights. Uh, I think it's like pro-choice arguments. You can follow me on there for shorter versions of all these arguments. I think I've debunked so many over the past few years, and I have them all saved in my profile. Yeah. Uh, but this will be more fleshed out yes. and hopefully just serve you guys. Uh, that's that's our goal with this whole podcast, especially this episode. And can I just say, Moses, I'm so thrilled that we're doing this episode. There is nothing I like more than debunking pro-choice arguments. Yes. Like It gets me fired up. Yes. So if I get fired up in this episode, we know why. <laughs> I, I'm going to like if she gets like if it gets a little heated. Yeah, because I'm going to be I'll, I'll be playing devil's advocate a little bit, and so if yeah. it gets a little heated, that's because of the of the force of these right. arguments, and uh, and yeah. and I think that'll be helpful. And Moses might jump into at some point and give more his perspective too. Yes, uh, because, because as a man, I I have a unique perspective. We, well, we don't believe in <laughs> the whole. We'll talk about this. No uterus, no opinion. We do right, not believe right, in that. No. It's such yeah. a bad argument. Uh, without further ado, though, Moses. Yeah, yeah. So so I want to start off by, uh, before we get into the arguments, mm-hmm. I want to start off by asking you, how did you get involved in the cause of pro-life activism? Yeah, so it's interesting because I think a lot of people uh, believe that I'm really active in politics and I love just politics in general. In reality, I do care about politics because I care about how it impacts us and that's how it's going to impact our America's future and our yeah. children, uh, which is why I'm blessed to be co-host of this podcast. But 
I don't think I would have gotten into politics if it wasn't for abortion. Um, and I want to make this clear too. Abortion isn't something that should be political. It's become political, but it's definitely a moral issue. Right. And so that's why I got involved. But uh, I think this was in high school. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, as so many high schoolers do, right? right. I feel like there is this insane pressure, honestly, in high school to know where you want to go to college, what major you want, um, if you want to spend thousands and thousands of dollars. Right on your degree, and there's just this pressure. And I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to do something that would be impactful because I knew I couldn't go to a job where I just did paperwork or did something that didn't really matter and doesn't really change the world right. or impact the culture. And so I started thinking about it. I started thinking, where can I make the most impact for Christ? Where can I use my God-given talents in the best ways? And I think, okay, all of this kind of happened um, sophomore, junior year of high school when mm -hmm. I was thinking through these things. Uh, number one, I'd always kind of wanted to go to law school. So that was in the back of my mind, and I knew I wanted to fight for the innocent in some way, in some capacity. And then I started listening to the briefing with Al Mohler, and that's mm. what really got me into politics, so to speak. And cool. I always really loved his segments on abortion. Yeah. Uh, and then I got connected with Lila Rose, uh, because of our friend Bruce Smith from Alliance Defending oh, Freedom. Yeah. yeah so I she didn't does messaging. Know that. Yeah. So okay. she came to visit and did like a messaging seminar with us, taught us how to do messaging well. And she mentioned that she had connections with live action and Lila Rose. And I thought that was amazing. And so she introduced me through email to her and to Alison Sonafante, who's mm -hmm. a director of external affairs. And for the first time I went on Instagram and I followed live action. And I saw their stuff. I saw how excellent the work they did, how, how it was so excellent. And everything they did, I just loved. Mm -hmm. And around the same time, I started listening to Ali Bestucki. And this was when she was starting to get bigger. Mm -hmm. She had been pretty small. She was still pretty small when I started listening to her. And yeah. then she grew exponentially. Uh, and she's an amazing conservative commentator and mom and wife. Back then, she didn't have any kids. But uh, I started listening to her, too. And she talked about abortion a lot, too. And I started putting all these things together. And I knew that I wanted to do something that mattered, right? Um, there's this quote, I don't remember who, who said it, but I love it. It's, uh, if not us, then who? Mm -hmm. If not now, then when? Yeah. And I love that. I think that might have been my senior quote. Um, and I think it's so accurate. I mean, if we're not going to rise up as Christians, then who is going to rise up? And I think it's so easy for us to get comfortable with the idea of abortion, which I pray that it's never going to be the case for me because when I started really truly learning about what abortion is through live actions, informational videos, and mm -hmm. articles, my eyes became so opened because I always believed it was wrong, but I never actually researched it for myself until yeah. I got connected with them. And um, I just, I knew that I had to do something about it because it brought me to tears and it still does. Mm. And there's this quote from Mother Teresa and she says, we must not be surprised when we hear of murders, of killings, of wars and hatred. If a mother can kill her own child, what is left for but for us to kill each other? Wow. A nation that kills its children in the womb has lost its soul. Mm. And so that really just encapsulates why I care about the pro-life movement and why I'm so passionate about it because I'm not fighting for myself. I get nothing out of this. Uh, that's what the pro-life movement is about. It's for, for fighting for the most vulnerable right. uh, when others are not bold enough to do so. And I really think there's this huge movement of Christians who agree that abortion's wrong, right? But they, and they'll pray about it, but will they act? They often don't act, which saddens me. And so that's kind of how I got involved with it. Uh, and then going into my senior year of high school, I think I started interning the summer after I graduated, actually. I started interning for a Minnesota Family Council yeah. in public policy, worked with Meredith Campbell, our then policy director, who's mm -hmm. amazing. And th from there on, I just kept 
doing different positions here at MFC until I landed here in the communications department, which is my favorite. Thank you. Yep, it's great working with Moses. So yeah, that's kind of the short, shortish version yeah. of how I got involved and just why I'm so passionate about fighting for the preborn. That's awesome. I, I I actually I don't think I had ever heard that story in full <laughs> before. That's so cool. Okay, so we have a lot of arguments. I'm just yeah. gonna jump right in. Yeah, we have so. So much. let's say that I am, uh, I'm. Let's say I'm just. I've actually. I recently talked to someone uh, who's kind of like this. Um, let's say that I. I say to you, mm-hmm. I'm personally pro-life. Mm-hmm. I don't support abortion, but I think it should be legal. What would you say to that? That's a great uh, question. Uh, we have an unwoke video on this, so I will we'll definitely have that on the screen and link in the description. And this is a super common thing. It like is President so, Joe Biden before yeah. he was president, that would be that would have been the position he would have right. taken. And that is the number one number one pro choice response I get on Instagram or talking in person with people. There are a few that I get the most, and that is one, probably the most common one. Um, and th- here's the thing: there's a lot of things I could say about this, but. First and foremost, if you say if you don't like abortion, then don't get one, which is what they're saying. Mm-hmm. That's an that's an uh, imposition of a preference uh, on an action that is fundamentally wrong. Mm. So it's like child abuse or rape. You can't say if you don't like child abuse, don't abuse children, mm-hmm. or if you don't like rape, don't rape anyone. That's clearly fallacious. Mm-hmm. And so no evangelical would claim like I don't support murder or rape, but I support each person's right to choose that if it's right for them. Right. No one would say that. Right. Uh, and so if something's wrong for 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 one person, it's wrong for everyone. It's yeah. morally wrong. And our government, as we know, was founded on the belief that the government ought to protect the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness of each and every citizen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm studying that in school right now, actually. It's fascinating. But as we know, without the right to life, every other right is actually meaningless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's the pro-life movement, too, also defines what it means to be pro-life. And we need to remember that. We can't let the pro-choicers define it. Like, oh, you're not pro-life if you don't allow women to choose what they want to do. Right. The pro the pro-abortion movement does not get to define that. And so truly it's hypocritical if you're going to say, I believe abortion's wrong. In this case, like for me, I wouldn't choose that. Well, why? that is precisely why it's wrong, why you wouldn't choose abortion because it's murder and you know it's murder. The reason that many have hesitations about abortion is the very reason that it's truly wrong. Right. Yeah. That's that's really good. I, I think that's just, it's just so clear. I, I, I think... Like, there's a lot of people who just haven't thought about it. Or if right. they've thought about it, they've thought about it from the perspective of a woman who is uh, dealing with unplanned pregnancy. And, yeah, that's a scary thing to mm-hmm. be dealing with. And so that's where you just you give yourself that distance. And you're like, well, yeah. that I would never do that. But if other people want to do that, I'm going to, you know, la, 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 la. I'm just going to plug my ears and just mm-hmm. ignore that, that that's happening. And what you're saying is, no, 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 that's not a preference. That is a moral, mm-hmm. it's something that, uh, that is morally wrong. And when we see that... As you said earlier, we cannot stay silent. Right. And when something's morally wrong, it's morally wrong for yeah. everyone, like it, I said. Just period. Funny story, though, about this, actually. Uh, I know a local coffee shop owner down where my parents live in Minnesota. And uh, every time I walk in, he's usually working because he's, like, the, the owner and everything. And one time I was wearing one of the live-action shirts that says, says uh, women's rights begin the womb. Mm-hmm. And I was ordering, and we usually talk about random stuff. But he was like, wow, I love your shirt. Women empowerment. Feminism. And I was like, mm, actually, this is a pro-life shirt. And I was able to share the pro-life message with him. And then he was like, well, I do agree with you, but I'm just personally pro-life. Oh, and so that's where I had this conversation with him. Yeah. And he actually said, I never really thought about it that way. That's really interesting. Thanks for sharing your opinion. I think I might, my mind might have been changed. Wow. So that was really awesome. And so that's why I also love wearing pro-life stuff. I mean, 
definitely i've heard some of my friends have like pro-life bumper stickers on their cars and their mm-hmm. cars will get keyed or whatever which oh is my cr- i know crazy yeah. so anyways don't um know that this argument is very common but just always bring it back to the humanity of the preborn. that's how you win every every pro-life argument is bring it back to uh, what what the preborn is? They're a living living human, and what abortion is, and what abortion does to the That's child. That's great. So uh, even beyond these mm-hmm. pro-abortion arguments, what Grace is saying is, when you get into a discussion, mm-hmm. focus on the life of what is in the womb. What mm-hmm. is that? Is right. it a clump of cells? Is or is it a a human yeah. child? Always do away with the euphemisms because the euphemisms like abortion. Okay, abortion. What is that? Or women's health care? Well, both of those are murder. Um, so make sure you can uh, cut through the noise and cut through the narrative because when they start using euphemisms, most pro-choicers don't even know what, what an abortion actually is step-by-step. Uh, step. They, they just think, oh, it's a procedure like going in to get your teeth cleaned, and that's really not the case. So often when they watch videos or when they hear what abortion truly does to a child, uh, they're shocked and they don't think it's actually right or they think it should be limited to the first trimester. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So let's let's jump into one of I think the hardest the hardest arguments that many people who are mm-hmm. pro life and many people who are really sincerely pro life they really have trouble with this one and it's understandable. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is this, I'll start off by saying this is very rare, but in certain cases you'll have a, a rape that ends up that that ends up in the conception and then you have a a, a woman yeah. who is uh, a, a child conceived in rape. And many people will say that there should be exceptions to abortion law for right. children, uh, for, for women who, who have been raped. Mm-hmm. What do you, how would you respond? Yeah, and that's the same, they use that same argument with incest too. So right. this kind of, this uh, answer, sorry, will kind of cover um, both of those. First and foremost, uh, rape is a terrible act, it's heinous, and I can't imagine going through that. And uh, your first response when you're talking with someone who's bringing this up, first of all, notice that they may have even been raped themselves. Your first response needs to be one of compassion, Mm -hmm. and you need to acknowledge the hurt that women go through when they're raped and how it's evil. So first, I believe that rapists should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. And uh, I actually am pro-death penalty for rapists who are convicted. Um, which is controversial, but uh, that's besides wow. the point. <laughs> besides the point, I think it's a terrible thing. Um, however, again, like Moses said, uh, r- abortion um, in the case of rape is less than 1% of all abortions. And so it's very, very rare. And so when um, pro-choicers come and they bring this argument to the table, they're trying to use this less than 1% to justify the other 99%. So mm-hmm. keep that in your mind. But also in response to this, Ask yourself why an innocent child should be punished for the crimes of his father. Mm. Never would we, if if something happened um, and the child was already born, never would you kill a child because his father did something. The father would go to jail. The father would be incarcerated. Um, and so really what this comes down to is that every single life is precious and having abortion, after, after a woman has been raped, what she deserves is compassion and care and right. love and support. That's what she needs and craves. Yes. What she does not need, Moses, is more injustice heaped mm-hmm. onto her. And abortion is another injustice. One, it t- will take the life of her child, but secondly, it actually hurts women, hurts them physically, but it also can hurt them in the future mentally when they look back on that moment with grief and despair, um, realizing that the life that was ended was her own precious child. Right. And so why would we give women a solution that isn't actually going to solve anything right. after they've gone through this horrific, uh, horrific act? Yeah. Uh, and also, I'll just close with this. Um, the injection for most abortions, 
uh, the saline inject injection is the same as what you'd inject to a murderer. So why would we inject some a, a poison into an innocent child, yeah. which is the same poison that we would give to murderers? In lethal injection. Mm -hmm. A lethal injection. And so uh, this is a very hard topic, of course, yeah. and always approach with compassion. But I think that's what we need. We need to hold on to the humanity of the preborn again, and the fact that abortion is not going to take away the trauma; it will only add to the trauma that women are facing. Yeah, I think like when we're when we when we, as Grace said, when we focus on the life of the preborn, mm -hmm. then then the preborn is alive and has rights, and we have responsibilities toward those children in the womb. How, however, the circumstances of conception took place, mm -hmm. so like that just does not change. Um, so I think I think that's great. So when we come to um, when we come to abortion, the largest abortion provider in the country is Planned mm -hmm. Parenthood, and uh, we've talked some about Planned Parenthood, what they do here in Minnesota and nationally on the mm -hmm. podcast. And um, you'll often hear uh, you'll often hear that um, that women need Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and they, they just provide all these services that apparently you can't get elsewhere. So what would you say to that? This is probably my favorite one to debunk because it's just, it's so easy to debunk. You know, <laughs> it's so easy. I wrote an article on this. Uh, our producer will put it on the screen and we will also link it. Um, this in like 2018, 2019 when I was doing public policy. Uh, and here's the deal. Plan people like to argue all the time, women need Planned Parenthood because they do so much more than abortion, and abortion is only 3% of what of what Planned Parenthood does. So if you take away Planned Parenthood, women will have nowhere to go for their free health care. That's the argument. Mm -hmm. I looked into the stats. Uh, these are from Planned Parenthood's annual reports. Uh, so this is straight from them, the mm -hmm. things that they release. Planned Parenthood does less than 2% of the national breast exams, mm -hmm. less than 1% of pap tests, less than 2% of cancer screenings, but they perform more than 34.9% of our nation's abortions, wow. which is much more than that 3%. So you might be asking, like, where do they get that 3% number? How come everyone always talks about the 3%? Yeah. What they do is they actually divide the total number of services by the number of abortions they provide. So when a woman comes in for an abortion, she also takes a pregnancy test. There's also an ultrasound that only the abortion workers can see, of course, not the woman. Um, and there's a plethora of other services she's doing. Right. Even though she came in for the abortion, mm -hmm. they're going to count all of those other services along with the abortion. So they're like, oh, right. abortion was only like one-sixth of the thing that she came in for. That sounds like uh, what they call creative accounting. Mm -hmm. Right. And so with statistics, always with statistics, you need to be careful. Look at the graph. Look at what they're actually comparing and look at their actual report because statistics are very easy to manipulate. So where would women be able to go? Like, let's say Planned Parenthood doesn't doesn't really offer that much besides abortion, which is true because yeah. abortion makes the most money. Mm -hmm. They also, Planned Parenthood also covers up sex trafficking of innocent young girls. They uh, offer tra uh, sex traffickers financial aid and other resources, which is not pro-women. Mm -hmm. They have monthly abortion quotas, which they push each of their facilities to surpass. Wow. And they're rewarded with pizza parties when they, and time off when they meet those quotas. Oof. And pushing women to have abortions because of quotas is not pro-woman. Mm -hmm. So why would we send our women to these terrible facilities that, one, are lying about the services they provide, 
are pushing their employees to do to perform abortions because they get the most money and are aiding sex trafficking. The answer is we should not send our women here. Where should we send our women? We should send them to nationally, um, federally qualified health centers, yes. which are located across the nation, which uh, in 2017, this is when I wrote this article, I'm sure the numbers have slightly changed. Um, these have performed uh, s- cervical cancer screenings, over a million, um, over 700,000 mammograms, and they increased their contraceptive services by about 14% in 2017, wow. which is lots of services. And so... In reality, we have federally qualified health centers that outnumber Planned Parenthood on a scale of 20 to 1 Mm -hmm. across the nation. And so women don't need Planned Parenthood. The Mm -hmm. bottom line is they don't need Planned Parenthood. What they actually deserve is healthcare centers that will give them quality healthcare and hope, compassion, and truth, which is what women deserve. And I know that women are strong enough to be told the truth about their body, about their baby, and about their healthcare. And Planned Parenthood lies to women. They will not give them the truth. They will never give them the truth. And that is inherently anti-women because women are strong enough to be told the truth. So that would be my answer in a nutshell there. But again, we will have the article linked below so that they can read that in its full. Yeah. That's that's excellent, Grace. Yeah, I think it's just like just dismantling the fact that yeah. the idea that Planned Parenthood is somehow the only clinic that provides right. these services when actually they primarily exist to do this one thing, which is mm-hmm. murder. <laughs> yep. So yep. I want to uh, switch gears a little bit and talk uh, about a couple more philosophical arguments mm-hmm. for abortion. And one of them, and this is a big one, is that we just don't know when life begins. Right. I mean, you'll, you'll hear some people mm-hmm. say, and the, the, essentially the pro-abortion logic is that the abortion uh, that um, that life begins when you can well, through the magic of the birth canal, right. and like you, you, the baby comes out into the yeah. world and suddenly it's have it's alive and video has rights. From choice for two. Oh, I it's don't know amazing. if I have. Amazing. Okay, okay, I'll show it to you later. Okay. Hey, check it out, guys. Um, it's, we'll, it's we'll so have good. it in that. Di- we'll have it in the description. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay. So, 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 Grace, you you're having a discussion with someone, and they right. say, "Well, how can we regulate abortion when we just don't know when life begins?" Right. What would you say to that? Here's the deal. There was a time in history when we could have claimed that. Mm -hmm. There was a time in history when we didn't truly know when life began because we didn't have the medical advancements, the technological advancements. But now, we this is why it is so disgusting that that abortion is still legal. We have absolutely no excuse. We know when life begins, and we know that a baby is human from the moment of conception. And how do we know this? 95%, more than 95% of scientists across the world agree that life begins at conception. Mm -hmm. And uh, not only that, but Harvard and Princeton have published many articles stating that life begins at conception. It's in almost every single scientific uh, textbook. The only ones that disagree are very progressive, very new, uh, and and the reason they would... Uh, claim that life doesn't begin at conception is because of abortion. And so if you're going to claim that we don't, you don't know when life begins, you are not only anti-truth, you are anti-science. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is the proponents that will say, well, we don't know when life begins, they are so pro-science with everything else. They're like, science, 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 science is real. We base everything off of science and nothing on religion. But in reality, they deny the most fundamental scientific fact that life begins at conception. So we absolutely know when life begins. We can detect a heartbeat as early as six weeks sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing. We have ultrasounds. We can see the preborn child moving. And to deny when life begins, again, is to deny science. And I think you have to bring it back to that. That's great. And so, like, what Grace is doing is she's saying what we can do is we can point to these scientifically verifiable things that everyone can and should agree on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like before we understood the science of DNA, we did not know that uh, each individual child had from the moment of conception unique 
uh, unique DNA that no one else in the world has or will ever have, and that it combines the genetic material of both parents. And uh, now Grace is not saying that we didn't know uh, from, as, as Christians, that we didn't know uh, that life began at conception. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a, Like the Bible talks about forming, forming us in the womb. Yep. But I'm saying, and, like, I don't use the Bible as a textbook for the pro, pro-life pro case. Yeah, yeah. I, I can use it to support, of course, but I don't need to. I can often win when the you're, pro-life when you're argument. Arguing, when, you're, when, you're make, when you're making a pro-life mm-hmm. argument, you're often arguing with people who don't share your belief in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important to do what Grace is doing, to talk about um, to talk about things that uh, – to find that common ground and mm-hmm. then say, you you believe in science, right? Well, look, this is what science says. I, I want to say one, one side note um, – Oh, uh, I had a, a friend on on Twitter who was tweeting about different different uh, Christian theories over over the years of why, why, uh, uh, how or when mm-hmm. uh, life began. And uh, various various people throughout history have put forward different theories. And one of my favorites, and uh, the reformers Luther and Calvin uh, believed this, and then. Um, and then I, some church fathers also believe this was a traducianism, is called. And mm-hmm. the idea is that uh, the soul is. So life begins at conception because the soul is created in a sense by uh, by the moment of conception. Mm-hmm. So the soul, the, the 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 child is ensouled, as this phrase goes, just at the very moment of conception. That that is a being with a unique soul because the mother and the father don't just contribute to the physical creation of the child, mm-hmm. but also to the spiritual creation of that of that child of that soul, because. You know, preborn children mm-hmm. have souls, you know, yeah. just coming from a Christian perspective. Yeah. So uh, for, for many, many centuries, Christians have believed that abortion, uh, that, that life begins at conception. Uh, that is not a new thing that no. Christians discovered when ultrasound technology came out. Or even people in general. Like most people agree that life began at conception. Mm-hmm. It's only until recently that progressives have started trying to redefine the terms because if it, it's absolutely heinous to assert that Yes, the child in the womb is a, a human from the moment of conception, but I still think it's right to murder the child. And I hear more and more people claiming that now. That's becoming more mainstream. Mm-hmm. And at least those people are being honest. At least right. they're honest about what they're supporting. Right. Whereas other people are either being lied to or they're lying to themselves. That's that's so good. So I want to take that one step further. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to put forward to you the best argument. The best argument. So <laughs> this is one of, supposedly one of the best arguments for yep. abortion. It's a <laughs> philosophical analogy. It's called the the violinist analogy, mm-hmm. and it was uh, it was invented by a woman called Judith Jarvis Thompson. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to just read you a summary yeah, of, of this argument. I want to hear your response. So in the story, in the violinist mm-hmm. uh, analogy, uh, a man, a violinist in the original formulation, and I'm reading here from uh, a website, prolife.stanford.edu, is dying. And the only way to prolong the life of this dying man, this violinist, is to hook him up to another human mm-hmm. and to siphon off some of that person's blood or kidney function or mm-hmm. something as a form of life support. He must remain in this state for several months, uh, for the several months necessary for medical technology to reach the point that it can intervene and completely resuscitate him. Mm-hmm. So music lovers, uh, in their zeal, to save the violinist, find some random woman who happens to be the only person in the world with the right blood type for this to work. And as she sleeps in bed, they hook her up to the violinist without her consent. The woman wakes up to find herself strapped down to the bed and attached as a form of life support to a complete Mm -hmm. stranger, essentially a human parasite lying next to her. Unless she severs the tube, she can't move or go anywhere indefinitely, forced to have her energy siphoned off by the parasite. 
Um, so the idea is that the situation is analogous to an unplanned pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Against her plans, the woman finds herself supporting the life of an unwanted person and has the right to deprive that person of her bodily support regardless of what the result is for the parasite slash violinist slash unborn child. So what do you think about that? How would you respond? This argument, interestingly enough, I guess a lot of pro-choicers will say this is the best one, but I have a lot of pro-life and pro-choice people that follow me on Instagram, and people never ask me about this one. Like, I don't know why So this is not a common common argument that you're going to hear on the dinner table. And I think the reason it's not common is because it just would never happen. Right. So it's like, okay, but I can still debunk it. Okay. So, uh, Thompson, the author here is counting on a certain like moral intuition, a certain sense of justice and our pathos Mm -hmm. rising to the surface here and feeling the plight of the poor kidnapped woman, uh, used as a host against her own will, uh, to support the life of this random stranger. So we're, our emotions are taken captive here and we're like, oh my gosh, this poor woman, like. And I think most of us, if not all, would agree that this woman is not morally obligated to stay on the uh, lifeline with this person. Mm-hmm. I think, like, the blood is being transfused. Is that the analogy? In the analogy, yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, so we feel the sense of, like, we just have a sense of emotion for her. Now, the key question in any, like, slippery slope argument and appeal is always whether the two situations are actually similar yes. in a morally relevant way. If this it's is not, analogy, but mm-hmm. is this analogy actually analogous right. to abortion? If not, then the illustration of this, this analogy is guilty of the slippery slope fallacy where it's trying to make you feel like this is the same thing, but it's actually not, and then the argument falls apart, right? right. So let's take a look at this. Uh, Thompson is arguing here that the child is not merely a stranger. She's arguing that it's a violent assailant of the mother that needs to be warded off in an act of Mm self-defense. And so this plays off of the pro-choice argument that a child is an invader and a parasite that lives off of the mother. So let's just think about that for a minute. A child is not a parasite because from the moment of conception, the child has a unique DNA and humans can only beget humans. So a child is not a parasite and it is the most natural place for a child to be is within its mother's womb. A mother's womb is the baby's natural environment and habitat. And no one can come into this world without that. Mm -hmm. And so what she wants us to believe is that the child growing inside of the woman is trespassing Mm. and that... One is when one is trespassing, one is not in its rightful place, mm-hmm. right? But the baby in developing in the womb actually belongs to her, and the mother's womb should be the safest place uh, in the world for yes. a baby. But unfortunately, it's the most dangerous. So it's it's not the same because she's comparing a stranger um, to a paras- a parasite, quote unquote, right? And can I add to this? Yeah, because yeah, go ahead. like, <clears throat> also another thing that would need to change for the story to be to be analogous would be that so in in the analogy, mm-hmm. the woman is asleep. And this thing happens to her, and she's completely yeah, passive, and, and mm-hmm. in fact, uh, it, it's done completely against her will. But in the case of pregnancy, uh, with the exception of rape and... Uh, and this is controversial, right, to say this, but, like, consent to sex is consent to pregnancy. Consent to sex is consent to pregnancy. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm going for. Mm-hmm. So, so the woman, essentially, is, in this analogy, if I could, if I could adapt it, she's, uh, she would have to take part in, let's say that she, she's filling out a survey. Mm-hmm. And she knows that a a, uh, a a non-zero chance of her filling out the survey and turning it in would be that she would have the right blood type to be connected. And she's signing her name and saying, I consent to this be- uh, in that case. So let's say that there's a, a 5% chance 
or a twenty percent chance. There's like a three percent at least if chance you're, yeah, you're going to get if pregnant. If you're on birth control, mm-hmm. birth control, uh, no birth, no system of birth control except abstinence is one hundred percent effective uh, at preventing pregnancy. So the woman, I, I would say that you have to modify the analogy and say mm-hmm. the woman is essentially signing on the dotted line saying, I understand that if I am uh, the donor needed uh, to help this mm-hmm. person in this in this life-threatening situation, then I accept the 5 to 20% or whatever chance that that will be the case, and then I will consent. Because yep. that is what pregnancy is. It is you are engaging in activity, sexual intercourse, that leads naturally to pregnancy mm-hmm. in many cases uh, for the reason why all of us are here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, we have to have the birds and the bees talk, apparently, with some of these <laughs> with some of these uh, pro-abortion argue, uh, yeah. arguments. Um, so I don't want to cut off your train of thought, but because yeah. I think you're making an excellent point. But even coming back just to the beginning right, of the analogy, exactly. you need to talk about why that's just not accurate. Right. And uh, people could still use the argument of rape, though, in this. Like, okay, that's not sure. consent to pregnancy, which I agree with. There's still different parallels that are inconsistent here. And so this analogy isn't good because the violinist illustration or analogy here is not parallel to pregnancy because it equates a stranger-stranger relationship, this random person to this random person, with a mother-child relationship, mm. which is fundamentally different. Like, Excellent uh, when, a, when a child is born, right, Moses? A child can't, a parent can't not feed their child. They can't not clothe or house their child because that would be child abuse, right? Yeah. And the uh, police force would come in, the government would get involved, et cetera. Um, the parents have a unique obligation and duty to protect the life of their children, whereas a random person wouldn't be uh, prosecuted if a neighbor child starved in his house and the and the parent didn't know the right. ran- the other the other the parent didn't know, didn't know. Mm-hmm. right? Uh, but you would be responsible if your own child starved, right? And so. There's that fundamental difference that uh, parents are uniquely responsible for their children. And just because a child is in the womb does not mean that you can deprive them of that fundamental right. Right. Uh, Likewise, there's another difference here. Abortion is not just withholding treatment, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, from a a child. It's actively taking another human's being life through poisoning or through dismemberment. Yeah. And... A more like a more accurate parallel if, if we're going to use this argument it would be to parallel abortion with like crushing the violinist skull and then removing him from the life support or the right. bloodstream that right. would be more parallel um so so like i said the reason that this is a flawed argument is it's a slippery slope it's logically fallacious fallacious and fundamentally this is something i was talking to moses about before we filmed the podcast but Every single person in the United States has the right to not be murdered. So mm-hmm. children should have the right to not be murdered within the womb or without the womb. Um, everyone has the right to life, meaning you have the right to not be murdered by another person. Mm-hmm. However, no one has the right to not die, right? So n- you're not guaranteed that you'll never die. Actually, In fact, you're guaranteed that you will die at some mm-hmm. point by natural death or by a car accident or some other form or cancer. God forbid. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, no one is guaranteed life. You are guaranteed the right to not be murdered, but you're not guaranteed life. And so this argument is equating uh, equating these two things as the same thing when they're yeah. really not. And I think Ben Shapiro makes this point. There's a difference between an act of self-preservation, which would be this woman in this argument and in this analogy, mm-hmm. versus an act of violence towards the most right. innocent. That's and crucial. Women will not die if they have a child mm-hmm. um, in most cases. Uh, women can sometimes die when they undergo an abortion, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this argument, it doesn't specifically say the woman will die if she stays on life support. Um, I think that's 
at least her life force is being drained. Yeah. But women aren't being drained in a pregnancy. Like your body, if you're a woman, your body was literally made to hold life and sustain life. And so right. it isn't this uh, burden or thing that you can't bear. It's hard. It's Eve's curse. Uh, I I know it will be hard when if I someday have children. And I'm not uh, saying that it's not hard. It's very hard. But you're not. Uh, you're in most cases you will not die if you have a child. Um, the Lord literally made your body to sustain life. And so right. that would be my response in a nutshell. So a lot of things to break down here. But fundamentally, if you're if someone brings this up, bring it back to the humanity of the preborn, what abortion is, and then also bring it back to the fact that these are not parallel circumstances. Yes. And also this would literally never happen. Whenever pro-abortionists are like, oh, I have this fantastical argument and like blah, 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 this and this and this. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard the Petri dish argument. Like, no. oh my gosh. Okay, maybe we'll talk about that in the next episode. Okay. But um, uh, it's like, okay, these things would never happen. Mm-hmm. So if you have to resort to something fantastical and out of the blue to try to argue your point, you're wrong and right. you're not on the side of truth. Right. And so fundamentally, when it comes down to it, if you're uh, in a situation and you're having a conversation with someone who's pro-choice, remember that you're on the side of truth. Truth is winsome and truth will win. Uh, it's not that hard to win an argument when you're on the side of truth. Mm. And so be be emboldened by that. You have everything you need to win the argument, but not only win the argument, win the person. Because my goal, whenever I'm conversing with people either in person or online, is not just to win the argument. I know I can do that because there is no good, no good argument for abortion. My goal is always always to win the person's heart over to the pro-life uh, yes. side. And oftentimes I see hearts and minds changing, which is a beautiful thing. That's so, that's so wonderful. And I just, I just want to say that unfortunately we're running out of time and uh, we have so many more, uh, so many more interesting, not good, but interesting arguments uh, for abortion mm-hmm. that, that we want to equip you for. And so, but unfortunately we're running out of time. So what I want to do is, is uh, cap this discussion for right now. And then we're going to do a, a second episode, a future episode, mm-hmm. and we're going to come back to this and we're going to, uh, we're going to get Grace's input on some of these, these final uh, pro-abortion arguments. And then, and, and we hope that, we hope that that will be helpful as well. So I want to say, I want to just say thank you uh, to Grace for presenting, uh, presenting these uh, well thought out and uh, scientific, oftentimes scientifically proven reasons why, why abortion is wrong and should not be countenanced in a moral society. And uh, we're going to be back with more in the future. And that's what the Family Beacon is for, to get mm-hmm. you the facts so that you can stand for truth. I'm Moses Bratru. This is Grace Evans from Minnesota Family Council. Thank you so much for watching and listening. And keep remember, on fighting for life. Uh, keep on fighting for life. And remember, if you are on iTunes, give us that five-star review. We'd love to have that uh, to show us that you love and enjoy this podcast. Uh, that helps it uh, get in front of other people. And if you're on YouTube, hit that bell icon so that you get a notification every time we release a new episode. This is the Family Be- This is the Family Beacon from Minnesota Family Council. Thank you so much for watching. Thanks for listening to or watching this episode of the Family Beacon podcast from Minnesota Family Council. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you're up to date on life, family, and religious freedom. You can follow us on Instagram at MN Family Council and subscribe to us on YouTube to watch our content. Get the facts, stand for truth. Thank you.